from the Pictures Out There studios. Welcome to the Pictures Out There podcast series with Dave Fogelman and Lee Stewart. Pictures Out There ties the future to the present and is a new approach for vision and action toward a better future. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pictures Out There podcast series. I'm Lee. And I'm Dave. Welcome back. It's nice to have you with us again. Today, we are going to give you another picture. It's a rather, I think, challenging picture. It is a picture for new government, not just in your municipality or your county or your state or your nation, but where, Dave? The globe. The entire world. So what is a future picture of our world, let's say governmentally speaking? First, I think it's important that we acknowledge the simple idea that governments and political systems of our world have changed dramatically throughout the course of human history. We've generally made improvements to the design of these systems over very long periods of time. From our earliest beginnings as social individuals, we've evolved to societies and nations run by a number of different systems. Among those different systems are dictatorships, monarchies, oligarchies, democracies, the autonomous collective, for those of you who are Monty Python and the Holy Grail that fans. Was, that was a classic. <laughs> I'm being repressed by the system. <laughs> and many, many, many other forms of government, including blends, of course, and hybrids of all of these systems that we've mentioned. We've kind of tried them all, haven't we? we yeah, we, we really have. have tried all sorts of different systems. Lots of times when this topic comes up, there is the debate about which system is the best without any context of where the world is at any point in time, where people are, where society is. And I think if we reflect on things just a little bit, we start understanding that a lot of our human history with government and the systems we've created has a lot to do with where human society is at any point in time. It's kind of a combination of that and then who has the lust for power. Absolutely. Those two things seem to kind of dictate the system that we happen to be in. Yeah, a couple of other things to consider there, Dave, are uh, how about economic systems, which generally are tied to political systems and systems in government, but can be somewhat apart. So we might look at a nation state that's making hands, uh, hands and fists full of money right now and go, well... That looks like a pretty attractive system until you peel the cover back and realize, well, it's an absolute dictatorship. Right. And maybe human rights aren't so much there. But economically, they're a powerhouse, right? Yeah, we'd like to have some of that. Ooh, do we want to have the rest of what seems to go with that or not? Right. So as human society evolves over time, our governmental structures can evolve and need to evolve as well. That's our point of view here. For example, one thing, just to, to kind of lift this up, Think about forms of mass communication. Think about as those forms of mass communication have advanced, the phone, technology. Think of travel, all of those things. It has become easier over time to capture the will of the people into decisions. 
through voting rights and polling, all of which has facilitated in the last several centuries democracies happening. Without that mass communication opportunity, how do you collect the votes? How do you understand who people would vote for, what they would want? So that actually is a fairly recent phenomenon that there's been an infrastructure for human society that really could support democracy. We're now seeing further communication and technology advancements, right? Change never stops, as we've talked about. And now these further communication and technology advancements, in some cases, are facilitating autocracies, oligarchies, dictatorships of personality. We're now seeing the very critical debate, real time here in 2021, about how social media should work, how it should be optimized, how it should be overseen. Because as people have known, and certainly the powerful with ill intent have known through the eons, if you have control of communication, that's a lot of your battle in creating an absolute power structure. So uh, point being, government of evolution often matches the evolution of our human society here on the globe. And we certainly say it should match the best of that evolution. There's some interesting pictures that are really pictures of government, our topic today, that have happened over the years. One of the classic authors of pictures of government is George Orwell. Yes. And uh, if you're familiar with both Animal Farm, which in his time was a picture of a current and past government in Russia, and then he had a, a very famous picture of the future, of course, with 1984. These were such powerful books, we would suggest, because they were pictures. They captured people's attention, and in a way where it's like, well, yeah, you're, you're reading a lot of this stuff and going, ugh, yeah. yuck. It's <laughs> off-putting. Yeah, but... Which but, is an indication that it was a very fully wrought, powerful picture. Yeah, yeah. So, granted, undesirable pictures, but they are pictures nonetheless. It seems to me, Lee, that sometimes creating that picture of a negative or an exclusive government system is a little bit easier to represent and to sell. We have a lot of those. Endless books written about Hitler, endless books and interest in someone like Genghis Khan. People that created these systems, they're easy to describe. They're usually personal in nature. They're around one human being. So that, again, furthers this notion that you can't go create really a positive picture for a future government. Yeah, that's a great point, Dave. I would include that... We talk about Khan, we talk about Hitler, we talk about Mussolini. You can point to any bad man of the past, right? Oh, by the way, I just used the term man. That was purposeful and deliberate. Yeah. Gen gender comment made right, right there. Right. Okay. It's easy to ascribe things to an individual when it's a cult of personality. Right. It's difficult if it's being done, in our opinion, the best way, the optimal way to include all kinds of perspectives. Well, it's hard to hang that on an individual, right? right. Because it's the best intent of, of thousands of people, of millions of people, perhaps. Right. So that's why some of those positive pictures don't get talked about very often. I think one of the things that, that even bubbles up in the course of American history since the founding of the United States is you have these little spikes that happen in the course of our, quote, democracy, where you have different players, often presidents, who try to see how far the reach can be of their own personal power, 
using their cult of personality to usurp power that isn't necessarily inherent in what, we, what the country was founded on. So Andrew Jackson, back in the 1820s, he pushed what today we call executive power. He pushed that to the absolute limit. Guess who did that about 50 years later? Oh, a man that we revere. He's on Mount Rushmore. His name was Abraham Lincoln. He pushed executive power to the limits as well, but arguably historians would say for the good, right? For the better, not for his personal individual gain. So uh, one of the things we want to shift to a little bit just uh, before we jump into some of the elements of where we're going is to talk about where we are at this moment. And, and I think one of the things we would like to lift up would be, let's think about nations today. So if you, in your mind, have a picture of the globe and you're thinking about the nations that are in the Americas, the nations that are in Europe, the nations that are in Asia and Africa, many of the national borders that we have today around the globe are the results of wars, colonialism, imperialism, and aggression. Not the most savory ways to go create a border where people ostensibly of like mind or persuasion are then together establishing a government and going on with life. The fact that these are typically not the results of some pristine, pure, and peaceful assessments of where the borders should be based on... A river or a mountain range yeah, or an or, ocean. Yeah, all, all of us here kind of believe in these things as opposed to other things. That's not how we've gotten to where we are today. So we want you to think about that a little bit because sometimes what turns into then allegiance to a nation, basically the foundation of that is not very pretty. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's just the facts. Yeah. The way we got to where we are, and if you want to think of all of the different things that went into the borders that currently are the United States. A lot going on there to create the 50 states that we have and territories. Yeah, absolutely. Money, aggression, <laughs> political influence, you name it. So Dave and I would argue that we very clearly, at least to us, should not stay where we are today, okay? We're of the mind that we need to do better. We need to evolve this. Today's answers even if we believe they work today, okay, they're probably going to have to evolve to become tomorrow's best answers. And we believe that on the basis of the fact that things keep changing and evolving. And so government needs to change, you know, which is lots of times just one of those things of, well, it should never change. It needs to change. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So over long periods of time, governmental changes have often been for the better, but any changes for the better have frequently been resisted by the former leaders at that time they were made. That's important to think about, right? Those who possess the power during change are least likely to want that change to occur, right? <laughs> so let's say this again. The changes for the better have frequently been resisted by leaders who wanted to maintain the status quo, protect their own interests, or perhaps they just didn't believe that things could be better, or they just wanted to enjoy the perks of their power or they didn't know how to create a vision for a new and better future. Yeah, so we get this, this double whammy of uh, things sh shouldn't change. I'm in power. I want to go ahead and keep the status quo. Or, secondly, I actually would like to have more power. Well, they voted for me. Mm -hmm. That probably means, in my mind, that 
I ought to have more power. I ought to get to do more things. And so people get placed into power at a point in time, and it is fascinating that they usually take that as some kind of signal that they deserve more power. Why is that? Why is that? They rarely take it as a signal that they are facilitators or caretakers for taking the people under their government to a better place. That's really worth conjuring because that has been the norm is that there, it's rare that there is this selfless leader mm-hmm. that comes in and goes, I got elected to basically figure out how to evolve things and to give away a lot of my power. My power, yes. It just, it just doesn't happen very often. And when it doesn't, as it normally does, problems inevitably ensue. Ah, but change is, by definition, unavoidable. Nothing in life ever stays the same, nor should governmental structures or systems. So consider that paradox for a moment. Leaders frequently don't want things to change if it means they'll have less power in the revised new system of government, for example. But it is a given that the world must continue to change, and therefore power and government must inevitably change over time too. So we might suggest that as long as getting more power is the government leader's primary motivation, real advancement of that human society is pretty unlikely. That's a point to ponder that change has to happen, power and government have to evolve, and if the leader is basically working against change and working against their power evolving or dissipating or being handed off to a larger group of people, then the advancement of that society is highly unlikely. So here's a biggie. We must have political and governmental leadership that's prepared to give up some of their direct power in order to create the right governmental answers for the world of tomorrow. That's what a real leader does in any power system, including government. They make the world better by helping it evolve, which almost always means giving up some of their direct power along the way. Now, Lee, I'm imagining leaders in all sorts of venues and all sorts of places hearing this and going, you mean I got power? Now I should figure out how to to give give it it away away? or evolve it? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I just spent $50 million getting elected. (laughs) Yeah, and we would say, yes. Yes, that would be our point of view, our picture, and our perspective. Absolutely. There is a rise of authoritarianism around the world today, not just in the United States, but in several locales around the world. This is kind of the accordion of human history, right? There will be eras in which democratic principles prevail, the next era in which more autocratic or oligarchic principles will prevail. Autocratic authoritarian pictures are easier to create than democratic pictures for the reasons that we discussed some minutes ago. An individual or a small collection of individuals can create a very powerful, vivid autocratic picture or oligarchic picture. To be something that's in which everyone can participate equally and fully, that requires an aligned picture conceived by millions of people. Yeah, we, we find it much easier to, uh, to this date. And again, we're thinking in the future, you guys have solved this, speaking for a moment to our, to our future audience. But to date... It has been much easier to find enemies for people and to create a group that is the haves and then make enemies of those outside of that circle. That has been, sadly, a pretty easy thing to do throughout history. 
And this notion of feeling connection to everybody around the globe that we're certainly pushing for that we think is within our grasp. It's right there. It's within our grasp. That has not been historically something that has been done or has been easy to do. Or certainly not very sustainable. Right. Right. So we think political systems should reflect big, hairy, ambitious, audacious ideals and goals, right? And ideals, let's think about that word for a moment. Ideals is a beautiful term. It suggests ideas, but it also suggests goals or objectives. It also suggests the best in ourselves when we are trying to obtain an ideal. It is a future-looking word. It's not like values. Values is very frequently a backward-looking term, especially when it's used in the political context, right? It's used by those in power to trench in against change and any dilution of their personal power. Oh, I'm just standing on our values. Values are different from ideals. Ideals are aspirational. And ideals also have the benefit of being very easy to remember. And in their best and most sustainable forms, government systems have typically very simple ideals that are well understood by everyone. And those systems attempt to live out those ideals better and better, day after day, year after year. So, as a foundation to painting a picture of a future governmental system for the world, we should identify new ideals that will take our world and people to a better place as a global society. So, dear audience, what do you think the new government ideals should be? These new ideals could include, here are just a few examples. How about that everyone appreciates individual uniqueness in all of its forms, as long as there's no harm in my uniqueness brought to someone else. Government systems ensure that those who can work have a job that pays an actual true living wage as a minimum requirement, and also as a precursor to having a universal income system. Another ideal might be that healthcare is provided for all and it's available for all. Access would no longer be an issue. How about if everyone shares their own religious and spiritual expression and respects the expressions of others? Another ideal might be everyone maintains the quality of the environment and promotes clean access to energy. Another ideal might be we address and seek to eliminate all of our daily acts of violence and ensure that political, economic, and social systems minimize that violence. Finally, what if everyone were equal with equal voting rights and other citizenship rights? So we ask you, what would your new government ideals be? Would Lee and I like having the global ideals in the future that we just went through? Yes, we would. If we can't make that happen yet at a global level, what about at a local level? Yes. What about at a regional level? Yes. Please. What about at a state level? Yeah. Yes. Now you're getting better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And lots of times change happens through the seeding of something at a smaller level and people look at it and go, gee, that looks pretty good. How did that happen? I might like to have that happen where I live. Yeah, absolutely. So can we build systems based on new ideals? Sure we could. And as Lee said, what are yours? What would they be for you? Will those systems based on new ideals be perfect? Surely not. Human systems never are, but we can start and then work hard to make our expression of those ideals better every day, every year. Will those systems be perfect? Surely not. Human systems never are because we are human. 
That includes governmental systems, but we can start and then we can work hard to make our expression of those ideals better every day. If humanity had waited to propose and build a new governance system until it would be perfect, we'd still all just be lazily sitting around drawing pictures on cave walls, right? No government system ever would have been created if the standard was perfection right out of the gate. So the inability to build a perfect system is never an excuse not to try to do the right things, not to try to do better. We must try to dream and design and build governance systems that will incent the best in us as much as is possible. If we've identified those best ideals with courage and joy and a sense of adventure, because that's what it's going to require, then we try to go build those human systems that will maximally sustain those ideals. And it won't be perfect from day one. No, absolutely not. So we think something dramatic has changed in the last few decades. And we're going to go through uh, some of the examples of problems that we have in the world today. And what Lee and I are seeing is a trend that is not new. It's been happening for a while, but it's maybe kind of been invisible to a lot of people. And we're trying to lift up a trend that we think is important, that the biggest problems in our world today are global in nature. And because of that, they are going to require global solutions. Trying to create a network of national solutions isn't going to get it done. It's not going to solve these problems. And a lot of what we're trying to do today in the world is trying to solve global problems with national solutions. So let's go through a list of these things here. Okay, we we here in 2021, folks out in the future, we are living with a global pandemic. Most of us would say, yeah, the solution to this has, has been, you know, getting global communication out, getting global vaccines out, having a global network uh, of Uh, pharmaceutical companies working on this, having the supply chain be thought of globally, et cetera. What do you think about climate change? There we go. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where thank goodness that the air stops at the borders. You know, (laughs) thank goodness we just have American air, right? We just have Canadian air. We just have Belgian air. Oh, that Belgian air is the best, you know, and uh, thank goodness that whatever we do with the climate just stays within us. Right. And we don't ever have to deal with things that are happening other places. Being facetious, obviously, on a deadly serious issue, I I would hope there wouldn't be anyone that wouldn't say, now, this is, this is basically a global issue to save in terms of climate change. Religious tolerance is another one. And I think part of what's happened with the mobility of society globally is that we now have probably more than ever, I would believe, a mix of established religions living in every community. And there's very few countries that uh, are kind of all one religion or virtually all one religion. Increasingly, there's a mix of that. So the issue of how do we create religious and spiritual tolerance is a global issue now in a way that it never used to be. Yeah, and I'm going to throw out the word tolerance there, and I'm going to substitute it for the word embrace. Yes. 
wouldn't it be lovely if we could embrace, not simply tolerate, I religious like, diversity? I like that picture. <laughs> religious embrace instead of religious tolerance. What if we drop down to cybersecurity? How oh. might that be a global rather than a national concern? Well, thank goodness if somebody wants to do a cyber terrorist act or do some mischief, thank goodness they get stopped at the border, right? Yeah, again. Again, we're joking about something that's very serious and just making the point with the joke of there are no borders. Technology has eliminated that. If somebody wants to do mischief or do real harm, they can do it from anywhere in the world to any other point in the world. Right. Uh, We want to talk a little bit about uh, supply chains and increasingly, again, because of our progress, there's the opportunity to get goods and services from all over the world. Typically, goods uh, are not created just one place. They're part of a chain that creates those, or the chain includes the distribution. And so we actually are seeing that related to our pandemic right now, where the pandemic has underscored the fact that we have global supply chains now in most cases. And so working through all of the issues, whether it is the mobility of the workforce to support those supply chains across countries. Immigration and all of the debate about immigration, again, one of those things where it's a national topic. People think of it as a national topic, but really it's about global workforce mobility and the global supply chain. Right. One of my favorite things to complain about recently is someone who will take to Twitter or Facebook or some other platform of social media and complain about... um, why, sh- why we should all buy American. We should make sure that we keep our economy strong. And they're tweeting this on their Chinese-made mobile phone. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Without a clue about the global supply right. chain interdependencies. Exactly. So lastly, we're just going to mention two or three things here that for us really are or should be global in nature. We still have hunger around the world. We lots of times do a very poor job of actually addressing hunger at a national level. We do an even poorer job about addressing hunger at a global level. The same thing can be said for income inequality. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much a global issue, but we treat it largely as a national issue and, again, do a not-so-great job at that. Uh, all of these things can affect health and life expectancy around the globe and access to education and learning. In fact, those last four things that we just talked about there, which were hunger, income, health, and learning, those are the four social determinants of health. Yeah. Anyone who's involved in the medical profession would look at those and go, yeah, those are a basket full of concerns that need to be addressed globally, yep. nationally as well, right. as you stated, but they're not going to be solved at a national level. Right. Or they're going to get solved for one nation. And not another. But our brothers and sisters some place else don't have that solved for them. Nation-based efforts to solve these problems just aren't very efficient or effective in our now changing world of today, since they often work at cross-purposes to the detriment of other nations. We not only aren't thinking of these at the right level, but I'm going to go do something for my nation that absolutely makes the problem harder to deal with for another nation. And so you can go down this list of what we talked about, pandemics, climate change, a religious embrace, supply chains, and you can think of those situations where one nation does something for itself and it's not neutral, it's actually harmful to other countries. Yeah. So 
We hope that we've stimulated your thinking regarding government systems and we've offered you some ideals that might be incorporated into a picture of a new global government system. In our next podcast, we're going to share further our picture about what that new global government could look like in the future. We'll take a little deeper dive on that. Does that sound daunting to you, Dave? You bet. Does it sound (laughs) difficult? You bet. Uh, Does it sound like it would have a lot of roadblocks? You bet. Well, as Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it is done. It always seems impossible until it's done. So put on your seatbelt, dear listeners. Here comes our picture of a new global government in our next podcast. We'll leave you with that cliffhanger. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for joining our podcast today. For more information about Pictures Out There products, services, and communities, or to contact us, please visit us at picturesoutthere.com or reach out to us on Twitter at the handle at PicsOutThere. You can also find us on Facebook. Please join us for our next podcast. We hope you have the day of your dreams.